Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's show. Before we get to our interview today, I would like to just remind you that we have the International Sacred Sexual Music Festival happening virtually live stream this year, April 16th, 17th, and 18th. I am going to be celebrating my birthday on the 17th of this Sacred Sexual Music Festival. We have over 20 plus sexuality experts, teachers, demonstrators, healing practitioners, and musicians that we we all can learn from and reflect on a new way to honor our life force energy. So the speakers, the dancers, the musicians from all around the world are really going to get us in touch with the essence of our sexuality. We're going to learn how to live with a new, more sacred sexual energy in times of the Me Too movement and the Harvey Weinstein era. We're going to learn about what different spiritual traditions teach about sexuality, how we can shift our culture to remember when our bodies were seen and known as sacred, why we live in a sex-phobic culture and how to step into a new attitude. We're also going to learn about our sexual life from the recent pandemic and social justice crisis. And we're also going to learn about the greater cosmological, planetary, and evolutionary cycles we are a part of. This is really going to be an amazing virtual festival. I do hope that you will join us. We have tickets for sale now. The link is in the show notes, but you can go to sacredsexualmusicfestival.com. All right, let's get to our guest today. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast. If you have been struggling with taking care of yourself and need to find a balance with taking care of yourself and taking care of others, our guest today is going to help us to figure that out. I would like to welcome on the show Miriam Subriana. Uh, she is a doctor in fine arts uh, from the University of Barcelona. She's a coach, an author, and trainer in appreciative inquiry. She recently wrote the book, The Joy of Caring, which we are going to talk about today. And she shares her profession as a painter and writer with being a teacher of meditation and positive thinking. And for those of you who are watching this interview on Path 11 TV, you'll be able to see some of the beautiful paintings that she has behind her. She coordinates programs, projects, seminars, and travels. Um, she performs retreats and is really trying to help people live their own identity and enjoy a fuller life. So Miriam, welcome to the Path 11 podcast podcast. Thank you. I'm very honored to be part of your podcast. Yeah. So you have done a lot of different things between your art and the lectures and being a writer. So I'd like you to give our audience a little bit more of a background of, you know, a little synopsis of your life and what brought you to where you are today. Yes. Well, I, I think I have been a searcher all my life and in searching, uh, you find things. Of course, if you don't share, you know, you just wait for things to happen. But if you search, you, you find things. So I went to India, I went to California in the seventies, in the eighties. And, um, I did fine arts, but at the same time, I followed different paths of yoga, of meditation, of inner search. And then I came across appreciative inquiry, which is a method and a philosophy of life, which includes 
all the voices, centering yourself in what works, what is it that you want more of, what do you want to see growing in your life, and focusing the potential of what is and make it grow instead of focusing on what's not working, why it's not working, what's missing. So creating uh, conversations from the language of abundance instead of from the language of scarcity and, and deficit base. And that took me to, took me to create a space of uh, Yes, We See, which is uh, Yes in English, We in French, and See in Spanish, Portuguese, Italian. So it's Yes, Yes, Yes. But when we pronounce it in English, son, sounds Yes, We See. So it's like, Yes, We Open Our Eyes and We See. And it's a space in which we combine emotional intelligence, creativity, uh, values, spirituality, and coaching. And at the same time, uh, in that process of accompanying people and uh, developing the creativity, the emotional intelligence, the spirituality, I started to see the importance of appreciative inquiry for groups, for businesses, for companies. And so I, I started the Institute IDEA, which is the Institute for Dialogue and Appreciative Inquiry, Dialogos e Indagación Apreciativa. And that is mainly where I focus my, my attention now in painting and uh, writing and then also in training in appreciative inquiry and in giving retreats on self-development and meditation. Wonderful. Now, um, maybe we could talk a little bit about the positive thoughts and kind of thinking more in abundance. I've known people that will get so down on themselves if they feel like they don't have those positive thoughts or they're afraid that they're manifesting things in their life that are bad because they weren't, quote unquote, thinking positive. So how do we kind of work this balance and make this transition a little bit more into um, I don't know, giving ourselves a little leeway, not being so hard on ourselves if we forget to think positive. And, you know, what happens if we are kind of having more negative thoughts? Is it true that these negative thoughts can manifest bad things to happen to us? Well, the thing is that negative thoughts are a waste of time because they don't lead us uh, to where we want to go and to where we want to be. So actually, negative thoughts is going against the self because I am not treating myself well when I, having when I am having negative thoughts. And also it creates lack of trust in others. If I have negative thoughts towards them, uh, that breaks the, the trust uh, between, uh, between people and in relationships. And so when there is lack of trust and there is um, this inner creation of negative thoughts, it sucks my energy up. It weakens me. It makes me feel down. It, it doesn't give me energy. It doesn't give me hope. And so I think we have to take care of uh, two of the sacred spaces in ourselves, which is our mind and our heart. And I'm talking about the, um, the intangible mind and the intangible heart, uh, which affect 
the brain and the physical heart. Uh, they, there, there is a connection amongst uh, both of them. And so what I create, it's my own creation. No one is to blame for what happens in my mind. And so whatever is happening externally, it's my own reaction and my own choice to that that uh, will create more negativity or more positivity. And so when I am aware of the power I have within to create the thoughts that are beneficial, that are good, and I would say instead of positive and negative, I would call generative thinking. It means thinking that generates life, that generates hope, that brings, brings me to a different space in which uh, I am more full of life, in which I develop myself, in which the future that wants to be born in me starts to happen. Gotcha. Okay. Now, I know that you're also an author of 10 books, right? You have written many books, but the book that we're going to focus more on today is your book called The Joy of Caring. And what I really loved about it was that you were really teaching people how you can care for yourself and care for others, but not feel depleted. And I think that that is such a big challenge. I mean, so many uh, clients that I have that are moms, this is one of their biggest, biggest challenges. They are always trying to find the time to have self-care. They feel guilty when they take it. They can feel depleted because they feel like that they're taking care of everyone in their family and, you know, have to play so many different roles. And you really kind of went into depth about how people can learn how to manage that and take care of themselves. So tell me a little bit about why you decided to write the book. And then if we can go into a little bit more of your explanation that you have in the book about how we have this better balance between self-care and caring for others. Thank you. That's uh, that's uh, very good. Well, I've been accompanying people for many years already. And uh, one um thing that repeatedly happens in uh, different people is that they um, don't take good care of themselves from the perspective of being joyful about doing it. And they do it out of responsibility because otherwise their their health is at risk. And so some people, they uh, do sports, but they do it out of force, forcing themselves, treating themselves in a harsh way. And this is why, actually, it, it, uh, I, I thought of the idea of the joy of caring. That means, okay, if you are going to care about yourself and if you are going to care uh, more of yourself, then do it out of joy out of the, the really the, the bliss the the joy of wanting to to care about yourself and of course about others so uh, what really uh, took me to write that book is to see that so many people they uh, if they do care about themselves they do it out of force or out of an imposed responsibility, like you are responsible to clean the house or to have the house clean, 
but you really don't feel like doing it and you don't feel any joy in doing that. And so you do it out of force, out of responsibility. So how can we shift that attitude and make it into an attitude of joyful doing what you choose to do and do it out of a space of joy, out of a space of real care. Yeah. And in your book, I'm just pulling up something that I saved because I absolutely loved it. Um, You also talk about that caring for ourselves also means that we have to have self-love. We have to begin to love ourselves. And when I initially thought that and I thought about what my clients would say, they're usually like, okay, well, I don't even know if I love myself and I don't even know how to love myself. You know, it's the how. How do I begin to put myself first? And you have a great summation and I'd like to read it. There, it, it's a there's kind of a lot of points here, but I think it's really important. Um, you have in some caring for ourselves requires us to, and then there's a list. Stop pursuing the I have to. Stop making yourself suffer with questions that lead nowhere. Good. I love that one. Stop wanting to be someone you aren't. Exercise your will and perseverance. Set yourself goals that are appropriate for yourself. I like that one too. Reorganize the concept and the image that you have of yourself and stop judging yourself. Develop a concept of yourself as a valuable and able person. Take care of your inner dialogue and what you say to yourself. Develop positive attitudes towards yourself. Look to the past for what can empower you for the present and the future. And I think many times we look to the past to think about what we did wrong or what we could have done better. So I thought that was a powerful statement. Look to the past for what can empower you for the present and the future. Manage your fear of pain. Look into it in the face. Find inner clarity. Write, paint, draw, and share. Cultivate your tendency towards self-realization. It's the deepest healing force. Accept yourself as an imperfect person. I love that one too. Perfectly imperfect. Uh, Give yourself permission to be yourself. Take off defensive masks. And maybe we can have you go a little more in depth on that one. Feel positivity through tuning into your vital core. And here's a big one, people. Don't allow toxic people or relationships to contaminate your inner space. Don't feed negative assumptions and communicate with others as clearly as you can and develop and apply systematic thinking. So, you know, I thought that that was a good list for people that would say, I don't know where to begin. How do I begin to love myself? And there are so many huge points here. And some people could maybe even take a couple of months just working on one of them at a time. But, you You know, I think, you know, not allowing toxic people or relationships to contaminate your inner space. Sometimes people really struggle with setting boundaries with those people that they know aren't really healthy for them, or they just feel so negative when they're talking to them, or maybe that toxic person has so many negative thoughts and it's really making them feel low and, but they don't know how to say like, I really don't want to be friends with you anymore. Um, And also take off defensive masks. So that's an interesting one. I was curious to hear a little bit more about that. But I just absolutely love this list. Great. Thank you so much. I just want to to clarify. I mean, I think it was great the way you you read the the whole list, which is in page 11. And actually, it's sort of at the beginning of the book so that uh, the reader knows that we're going to go through the book into the depths of this list. 
And the last one, develop and apply systemic thinking, which you read as systematic and I thought oh, yeah. interesting. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Because uh, actually we have a lot of systematic thinking in which we repeat thoughts that are negative. And, and so it would be good to apply systematic positive thinking in that way. But here what I meant uh, by systemic, it means to include the system. And so if you, you were putting an example of um, a mother that has to take care of the house, of the children, and that feels guilty if she takes time for herself because there's so many things to do for others. And so systemic thinking, it means you think of the system, you think of the people around you, but you think that they need you in the best of you. And so if you drag yourself into a space of exhaustion, then you cannot give the best of you. You are just uh, mumbling and grumbling and, oh, I have to do this and take care of this and now feed the soup for the children and now do this or do that, whatever. And so you think of yourself to care for yourself so that you can be strong and at the best of yourself to care for others. And this systemic thinking then takes you away of this guilty feeling because you think that you care for yourself, not only for yourself, but to be better for others. For example, teachers that are constantly talking to others, teaching others, uh, people that uh, are working in hospitals nowadays, constantly caring for others and that are under pressure. So if they don't take a little bit of time for themselves to really quiet the self uh, in the sense of quiet the mind, uh, calm yourself, if you don't recharge yourself, then it, there will be a point that uh, there will be like the what we call the burnout syndrome. Uh, syndrome. You know, you, you are burnout. You, you can't cope anymore. It's too much. And so before getting into this too much, it's good uh, to care for the self. And of course, this list that, that you read, uh, which is in, uh, in my first chapter of, of the book, um, is a list that has many different aspects. And the one of taking off this defensive mask, one, one of the unique things of, of, of my book is that I include the perspective of different philosophers because from ancient Greece, philosophers have been talking to us about caring for the self, about the importance of self-care. And um, one of the philosophers, which uh, is not uh, from ancient Greece, but uh, from recent times, Soren Kierkegaard, he was saying the, the major disgrace of people is that they want to be who, who they are not. And so they put on masks to be something and to strive to be something that you are not. And that is really exhausting. And finally, it creates, you know, deceive because you are deceiving yourself by pretending to be who you are not. But what happens is that we are sold through movies and through 
a culture or an individualistic culture in which we live, that we have to be number one, we have to be skinny, we have to be beautiful, we have to be like this or like that. Uh, otherwise, you are no one. And so you strive to be that which you are sold, uh, you are told to be. And, and that creates a lot of inner tension and it end up, ends up in, in depression, actually. Yeah, so people really have to kind of sort through all of these messages that they're getting of who they're supposed to be and really trying to find who they are, their inner selves going within and creating the identity from within rather than from the external world and what is being shown to us. Yes, so that uh, you listen to your inner voice and... Um, you appreciate the other for who they are, but don't try to be like the other, but really listen to your inner voice and and to what gives meaning to your life and connect with that, with meaning making and connect with what gives you life and be joyful for that and don't be afraid of, uh, you know, whether you will be rejected or whether you will be uh, uh, not fully appreciated, but appreciate yourself. Start appreciating yourself. Yeah. And um, we were also talking before we kind of came online and it was a little bit of semantics because I pronounced a word. I said, I want to talk about this kind of martyr syndrome. And you're like, what's that? <laughs> and we were spelling it out. And uh, what's the way? How how do you pronounce it? Well, I would say martyr. Martyr. Yeah. So um, I've talked to, you know, again, some people about this with my clients when I notice it where, you know, and you touched on it in the very beginning that we may do for others, but it's not with joy. It's out of obligation or we feel like we have to do these things and that can build up resentment. And a couple of examples, like of two people that I can think of more recently, like one person was feeling burnt out on the job um, because she was kind of going above and beyond what was really expected of her. But she kind of felt like she needed to do this and take on more responsibility of her other coworkers. But nobody was asking her to do that. And then it was beginning to set up a situation in her work environment where she wanted to leave the job and kind of quit it. And, you know, was very resentful because no one was really praising her per se about all this extra work that she was doing. And to me, that kind of shows a little bit of that martyr complex. It's like, well, who's asking you to do that? Why are you going above and beyond? You're feeling you're not being appreciated. Um, you know, you're kind of, you may be doing it for that recognition. The recognition is not coming back. So, you know, what's the need to have to overwork or to go above and beyond? And another example, um, another family, uh, somebody had surgery in the family and there were other siblings that could help care for this mother that had surgery, but there was just the one sibling that felt like I have to be over there 24 seven. And, you know, I could ask my aunt, I could ask my uncle to come, but I just feel like it's my responsibility. And she was able to reflect and, and do some self care and say, you know what, people said that they would help. It's just, I'm not reaching out to call them. Let me reach out and call them. So I'm not feeling so over overwhelmed. She was taking care of her family, taking care of her mom, and just feeling like she had to be in two places, you know, all day long, which was impossible. So can you talk a little bit about this, that martyrdom, uh, I think is another word that we use, and okay. kind of, you know, overworking our responsibilities and then building resentment? Yes, I think um, it's, it's a very good example, the one you put. And uh, 
actually what happens is that we have a hard time asking for help because we feel that if I ask for help, it means I am weak. I am not self-sufficient. I need you. And so we don't want to feel vulnerable in front, in front of others. We don't want others to see us as weak. But this is completely a misconception because I think asking for help and reaching out and asking for help is a beautiful way to allow people to come into your life in a different way. And especially if you have been giving a lot to others, to invite them to help you in, in anything that they can help you can really uh, bring um, a lot of joy to their hearts because they feel they can give back what they have received from you. And so one of the important aspects in the joy of caring is to learn how do you offer yourself to others and to learn how to ask for help so that you can be concrete in asking and concrete in offering and not just say, oh, if you need me, just call me because then no one will call you. Just, <laughs> just be concrete in what you offer and in what you ask for. And, and the other aspect connecting with being martyr is um, about the negative thoughts towards myself. Oh, I don't know if I did it good or maybe I should have done this. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, I should not have said this. And it's like repeated like a hammer inside you in which you, you become like a victim of your own negative thoughts. And this is like being a little bit like a martyr of, of your own negativity because you uh, turn again and again in your mind uh, repeating and repeating something that's already past and that maybe could have been different, but it's already past. And by thinking about it, you don't solve it. Yeah. And let's continue to talk a little bit more too about asking for help. Um, I liked what you just said about kind of being more concrete with it. Um, this comes to mind when people are grieving, you know, people will offer and say, if you need anything, let me know. Uh, call me if you need anything. If there's anything I can do to help, let me know. Many times people who are grieving don't even know what they need, <laughs> you know, and then it just kind of feels like it is such an open-ended offer of help that you don't even know how, like you said, how to ask for it. So I like that on the other end is to maybe be specific in how you can help or maybe offering something more specific, like, um, if you'd like, I can cook you dinner, I can bring food over, would you like me to run your children to school, as opposed to if there's anything that you need, let me know. Yes, I think this is uh, very important. And when we ask for help, we can ask as an expectation, we can ask as an imposition, we can ask as a, um, how would you say, that I beg you, please, I beg you that you please do this. Uh, we can ask in a very a bossy way, you know, please do this. It's like, or not even please, you know, do this. And, uh, and so what is your style of asking? And sometimes because the style is so vague, it becomes an expectation, and the other says, well, I, I didn't have clarity that this is what you needed. You didn't tell me clearly that this is what you needed. But inside yourself, maybe you had clarity, this is what I need, but you were afraid of saying it in a very clear way. 
And so it became an unfulfilled expectation. And this is a root of a lot of disappointments in relationships. On the other hand, when uh, people offer help, let's say if you offer help, you could give different options. Okay, I am available on Sundays, on Mondays and Tuesdays in the evening. I am available to cook. I am available to drive your children to schools. To school, I am available to make you photocopies or to go to the buy some books if you want. Or uh, I am available to do the groceries for you. Just please be clear. What would you like uh, me to help you in? And maybe then inquire. What is it that would make you happy? Maybe you just need some company. If you want, I come a couple of hours and just uh, be there with you. I mean, uh, uh, we can be in silence. We can listen to some music. I can bring a film or we can look at the film together so that you have company. So give options when you offer yourself. And, and also inquire because... What you offer should be something that the other person needs, not your own need, because that's another thing that I I uh, write in the book, is that sometimes what we offer, uh, it's actually what we need, not what the other one needs. And so you reach out to the other to make yourself feel useful, but maybe the other doesn't need what you are offering. So it's like uh, if you give food to someone who is thirsty, you may give the best uh, food, but the other, it's not he or she's not hungry. They, they are thirsty. They want some water. Right. Yeah. Good point. That reminds me of um, the five love languages. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but there's like a test that you can take. You can Google it. And a lot of times it's about learning the love language of your partner. And I forget the author's name, um, but he meant he says a little bit of the same thing that you say, that many times we love people in our love language, not their love language. So you're absolutely right with that. Um, I wanted to also talk a little bit about um, in chapter three, creativity, because clearly you have tapped into your creative self. You are an artist. Um, and it seems like you really make that a priority. And I have met, you know, so many people that have such musical talents, uh, artistic talents, they would say, Oh, I haven't drawn in so long, or I haven't written my poetry in years. And it's something that's within inside of them. And I feel like every time people tap into that creativity as adults, it makes us uh, feel a little more childlike, I guess you can say, it brings out that joy and just that timelessness when we get into creativity. So can you talk a little bit more about the importance of uh, creativity and allowing yourself to be more creative? I think this is a very good question. Thank you for uh, for asking it, because I find that many people feel frustrated because their creativity has been somehow suppressed or repressed and they didn't pursue their creative self, actually. And there are now trainings on cooking and other uh, things that you can do with your hands, even le uh, Lego, you know, Lego playing uh, for business uh, managers because uh, they are too much in their heads. And so it's so important to do things with your hands and with your senses, and uh, whether it's uh, singing or uh, drawing or painting or playing a musical instrument because when you allow your creative self to be 
express, when you unleash your creativity, you will feel more fulfilled. Many people feel they are not fully um, fulfilled because there's something missing in their lives. And, uh, and what is missing is not coming from outside, it's coming from within. It's allowing your creative self to blossom, to flourish, so that you don't need to think, oh, I have to become a number one artist because that uh, immediately blocks your creativity. Just express whatever comes from within and let it be. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I always have found that even for myself, when I, you know, I do get back into my creative, either painting or jewelry making, or, you know, learning to play the guitar and, you know, I have a lot of different things of creativity that I love. And when I'm in that, it's just like time flies and it feels so good and I'm happy. And just part of me, it says, I wish I could just do this all day long. Um, so it does, it does. I feel like it's kind of like medicine for the soul. It revives the soul, the spirit, it kind of peps it up a little bit. And I think you're right. It's really important to um, cultivate that right side of the brain. You know, it's like if we think about in terms of the brain, you know, the left side is more of that analytical and we're thinking so much and the right side of the brain can um, help us with the creativity. So I think it gives us a better brain balance too. Would you agree? Yes. Yes. It gives us um, uh, more uh, inspiration and, um, brain balance for sure but also uh, we feel more open it's like a life flows through us when we are creative and uh, we let go of things that have been stuck within and we just let them go and then there's more space for them new and for whatever wants to emerge wants to be born in you to be born yeah. And, um, and now kind of moving a little bit towards uh, one of your last chapters, and this is something I've been working on, uh, make peace with time and do less and achieve more. Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is a concept that, you know, it's kind of like being still, sitting in stillness, doing nothing. And you hear all of the spiritual teachers basically say this, you know, it's like when you when you do less and you find the stillness within, that is kind of like the key and the doorway into the universe and all the magic that it creates. And um, gosh, it's, you know, how, how do we begin with that? <laughs> Well, first is when you plan your day, uh, create some spaces with nothing planned. It's like, don't plan. At 9 o'clock, I will do this. At 10, this. At 11.30, this. At 12, this. And everything one after the other without space for interruptions, for the unexpected, for a little rest, for a little walk, for just uh, staring out the window and looking at the sky. And uh, I find that, uh, you know, nowadays more and more we have interruptions and um, things that we didn't plan that, uh, that emerge. And if we have space in our agendas, then we don't live under pressure because uh, we have created uh, the pressure ourselves uh, in terms that uh, we, we create agendas that are so full that then we are rushing from one place to another and then we want to be effective with everything. So we feel under pressure and I found that many people uh, are under stress because of their relationship with time. And uh, what I'm proposing as part of the joy of caring 
is take care of your agenda and leave spaces in which there's nothing. Let's say you have a meeting of one hour from nine to 10, and then you have to have another meeting. So maybe make it at 11, not at 10, and give yourself one hour or maybe at 10.30. Then you have space for an unexpected call from a friend uh, or uh, some mail that comes in you need to answer so, so that you can have more space in your life. And then you are more focused, you are more relaxed, you have more energy to do what you have to do. And actually then... You do less and you achieve more because you are not under stress. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I I really have been putting this to practice. And the the shocking thing is, is I am still getting everything done, even though I am leaving that extra time and space and adding in even more meditation and really trying this practice of stillness and doing nothing. And it can be hard in the beginning because you kind of feel like um, you said it perfectly, like this relationship with time, like I'm wasting time. I'm not being productive. There's such pressure to have to be productive all the time. And uh, I'm learning. I'm just as productive. And like you said, if not more, because my energy isn't depleted. I mean, there is a true uh, like difference that happens when you allow that space, you slow down, kind of prioritize, like you said, with the agenda, instead of feeling like I have to get 15 things done, what are the top three? You know, and spend the energy and just focusing on that. So I have really loved slowing down. And making this time and space. And, you know, I hope for our listeners that this podcast today, I know it's probably all things that you all have heard before that you know that you have to do, but let it be a reminder and uh, inspiring you to start it start doing it, (laughs) start caring for yourself, have more joy. Um, So Miriam, yes, thank you so much. And you can show us your book again. It's a beautiful cover. That's one of your paintings, isn't it? Of the flowers. Paintings. And well, we haven't talked about the subtitle, which is transforming difficulties into possibilities. And uh, and that's also a part of the book, how uh, difficulties that make you, um, that, that are challenges and make you exhausted because you are fighting against something or you're struggling for something. And so transforming uh, those difficulties into possibilities. And, I, and, and it's a book in which I give many um, practices that one can apply in, in their lives. And actually you can get it from the book from the website of the um, of the publisher, which is obooks.com and johnhuntpublishing.com. And actually, it's also available in Amazon. So uh, my best wishes so that uh, this year you really experience the joy of caring. Yes. Thank you so much, Miriam. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And thank you so much for this wonderful reminder of uh, remembering that I need to care for myself and care for others. So you gave us some great tips today. Thank you so much. And uh, it was a pleasure. Take care. Bye bye. 
Thanks, everyone, so much for listening. Again, I just want to remind you, head on over to the sacredsexualmusicfestival.com website to purchase your tickets for the Sacred Sexual Music Festival, or you can visit pap11productions.com to purchase those tickets. I also want to give you a free code. Uh, This code is actually going to be for PAP11 TV. If you are listening to this podcast, you can actually watch our podcast for free on PAP11 TV, and you can start a seven-day free trial. And if you subscribe, I'd like to give you the code PODCAST30. PODCAST is all in caps, and that will give you some money off for your membership. PAP11 TV has over 100 hours of video, and you can download the app on any device. So head on over to your app store and look for the purple PAP11 TV logo. It's beautiful. I love it. And I know you're going to love it too. All right. Thanks, everyone. Take care.